Between the Lines with Virtual Academy. We all have a story to tell. Hello and welcome to Between the Lines with Virtual Academy, our podcast going beyond the batch to allow members of law enforcement, public safety, and first response place to tell their stories and talk about the cases that have impacted their lives. Glad to have you guys along for another episode. I'm your co-host, Brent Hinson. And before we bring our host in and our guest, just want to real quick thank everybody for uh, subscribing to the podcast and following us along on social media pages. We've seen quite an uptick in uh, downloads the past couple of weeks. I want to thank all those new listeners that have come into Between the Lines. And I think one of the reasons for those new listeners is the guy who uh, helms this ship, our host for this episode, Mr. Michael Warren. How are you doing, Mike? Buddy, I'm good. And if I could echo what you were what you were just referring to, uh, not only have we been getting more downloads, but we've also been receiving messages. And I don't know about you, but the, getting the messages from folks that, hey, you know what? That was a great episode right there. That just gives you more energy for the next one. It really does. Yeah. It's been fantastic lately. So thank you folks for doing that. It means a lot when folks contact us and give us feedback. It's always uh, good to hear from folks who are listening. And I know you're going to say it at the end, but I'm going to throw it in right now, too. If there's anybody out there listening and you've got a good story for us. Man, we'd really like to hear from you because we enjoy talking to the folks in this business here. Yeah, and you can always contact us at Between the Lines at virtualacademy.com. We're always looking for uh, great new guests for each episode we have. And we've got a great guest today. As we're recording this episode, uh, we are nearing the end of what's commonly known as summer. And that has... uh, even more impact on our guest today. So what can you tell us about him today? Well, our guest today spent 14 years as the police chief for the Henry County Sheriff's Office in Paris, Tennessee, before moving into his current role as the director of public safety for my alma mater, the University of Tennessee at Martin back in 2020. In 2018, uh, Chief Monty Ballou was credited with capturing murder suspect who had been the subject of a seven-day manhunt, case I'm sure we'll touch on along with a few other items today, including a very interesting video I saw on Facebook just uh, a couple of days ago. <laughs> We're going to welcome you now. It's uh, Chief Monty Ballou. Chief, thanks for coming in today. Good morning. Good morning. I'm going to go ahead and say since it's football Friday, that's a personal foul on me for the video. Uh, all the officers at UTM hate me now. <laughs> I have to say, you look very enthused. I've just framed this. The students are coming back to campus at UTM and uh, Department right, of Public right, Safety right. got out there and had a celebrate lip syncing video. You look like you were in the moment. The rest of them, I'm not quite so sure they were as enthusiastic <laughs> as you were. Yeah, yeah. That's how we get people reconsidering their career choices right there. At that's right. That's right. I mean, it was a real solid out reach temp and uh yeah i i think it's gone over real good i think we've got 12 13 thousand views or something and i don't know how many shares or likes or whatever but uh the powers to be told me it went over good so uh, we, we had fun with it you know and I, I think that's what it's all about in law enforcement and before i was sheriff up in henry county i was a trooper started out with jackson pd for a few years in patrol then i was a state trooper for a little over 10 10 years i guess uh worked i-40 in nashville legislative plaza and, and wound up working back in my home county, Henry County, and then had the opportunity to run for sheriff in 2006 and stayed there until about two years ago. Then had the opportunity to come to work for UT now. So I'm quite honored to do that and kind of come full circle. Uh, I went to school at UT Martin, and now I'm, I'm back here as chief of police. They used to chase me, kind of, maybe. <laughs> but now I'm, I'm back here working for them. So. Uh, and, I, and I worked when I was a trooper, too, back in Henry County. I worked about five years for TWRA, the wildlife agency, Tennessee Wildlife. It's a, 
as a boating officer on Kentucky Lake. I worked 600 hours out of the summer, each summer on Kentucky Lake doing boating enforcement. When I came sheriff, I had to give that up. And then now, about a year ago, uh, Governor Lee put me on the TWRA commission. So now I'm, I kind of made full circle with that too. So uh, we get to deal with all types of issues from just left Gatlinburg where we were looking at bear issues. Uh, we just removed a bear from the men's restroom up there in the shopping center. And you would never <laughs> thought you'd have a bear. You know, you'd say you're going up here to do this bear work and research and whatever. And, and uh, you know, you think you're going to be in the National Forest. And I was right there on the main drag in the men's restroom. <laughs> yeah, the male bear tore the toilet hand dispenser off the wall, knocked the paper towel holder out. And, well, don't leave his hanging. How did you get the bear out? Uh, TWRA has got a very uh, elite trained crew that will come in. And with that type bear that's in the man's restroom, you know, he could go in because he pushed his way in, but he couldn't come out. <laughs> so he got a little frustrated. You just need to get a picnic basket. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the Tennessee Wildlife Resources Agency has a very elite crew that will go in and basically tranquilize that, shoot him with a tranquilizer, and, and then – uh, we loaded him up on like a little plastic carry bag and carried him out and put him in a just like a, a crate type deal, just like you would a dog, except a lot larger scale and a little more sturdy, obviously. And, and then they'll take him to uh, the National Forest or somewhere in that remote area and tag him and, and do the correct research and, and then release him back into the wild. Uh, I don't know if you realize this, but this is the second time we've had mention of a bear <laughs> on this podcast in the past few weeks. Yeah. Remember with, uh, with Mike Rogers? The, the manhunt going on in Pennsylvania, and they yeah. <laughs> they sent the SWAT team in. Apparently, it's a much bigger problem than I thought. Yeah, yeah. It's like, <laughs> I they captured the bear. That one, well, no, they got close to it, and then they created discretionary distance. How's that? <laughs> I got uh, you. <laughs> You know, I never knew that bears would play that bigger role in law enforcement. I always thought the quicksand play a much bigger part in my life based upon my TV as a kid. But uh, you just never know what you can expect in this career. But uh, let me ask you a question here to start things off. How did you get started in law enforcement? What brought you into this field? Right. I, I had a, a good friend of mine, a friend of the family, a guy named Rookie Edwards uh, and Marvy Williams that were friends of my family that lived not too far down the road from me. And they were both state troopers. And they drive by every afternoon, that black and tan car. And I'd see them either going to work or coming home. They'd stop by every once in a while as I was a young man and turn the lights on or, you know, whatever. Man, I was hooked. I was hooked. I am so blessed. I I feel like I knew what I wanted to do like from sixth grade on. I wanted to be in law enforcement. I wanted to be a Tennessee State Trooper. That that was my goal. I feel like I have been so blessed because I feel like I've never worked a day in my life. Obviously, in law enforcement, we've had some bad days and tough days and traumatic days. And But I feel like I have never worked a day in my life because I've always enjoyed what I did and loved it. And, and that's why I, ne I never left leaving the Highway Patrol to become sheriff. It was just a good opportunity and good timing. And I, and I love being sheriff. Sheriff, but I absolutely love being a trooper as well. I, I do have to point something out to Brent here. Uh, there was an, an anomaly in what he just said. And what he said was, he had a friend that was a trooper because generally speaking, troopers don't have friends. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it, it, it depends where you're at. Yeah, right. I mean, if I'm behind you and the lights are on, everybody's on. And, you know, listen, listen, listening to your story there, though, it, it kind of rings familiar with me because uh, as I was being brought on here, the thing that got me interested in law enforcement was my grandpa was a Georgia state trooper. 
and, and he br- he would bring that car home and man the lights and sirens and i was hooked <laughs> i mean i'm telling you man I, I listen to people that i've interviewed over the years uh young men and women coming into law enforcement and you know i say tell me why you want to be in law enforcement what's driving you to this you know and you know it's a typical response is hey i want to help people i want to do what's right i want to help mankind or you know i don't know something like that and, and that's a cool answer don't get me wrong and i know that's part of it that's part of it but you know what another part of it is is i wanted to drive that black and tan car fast with lights and siren and arrest the bad guy and i wanted to care somebody in jail that was doing bad things and guess what that also serves the community when we do that right that's when right. You take bad guys off the street. That's, that's right. a great that's community right. service. So, so uh, again, what was your first law enforcement job? Where were you at first? Well, years ago, and and uh, I started when I was in college here at UT Martin. I worked under a guy named Sheriff Tom Jenkins at Henry County Sheriff's Office, and I was a jailer and dispatcher. I, I worked like twenty hours a week while I was in school, jailed and dispatched, and and then as soon as I graduated UT Martin, I went to Jackson PD, uh, and they sent me to the Tennessee Law Enforcement Training Academy, and I stayed there about three years or so. And then uh, THP, Highway Patrol, hired a class, and, and I got accepted. Went through their academy, started working wrecks and writing tickets. And um, I worked I-40 when I first got out, out of Madison County District Headquarters, Jackson, Tennessee, down there. And uh, really enjoyed it. Good, good times. And I stayed there, and I bounced around. I, I, got to, I had the opportunity to work out in Nashville quite a bit with different varying temporary assignments, uh, from the Legislative Plaza to Summit to Governor's Residence to some criminal interdiction work on I-40. And then after a few years, I got transferred back to my home county, which was more of a rural county, uh, which that's where my mom and dad still live. That's where all my old hunting spots were at, my friends were at. And so I got back home, you know, I, I could go 10-8 and go to work and a little bit. And I swing by mama's house, she'd have sausage and biscuits. And- <laughs> <laughs> so I was living the dream. I mean, it was it was really good. I enjoyed being a trooper in my home county. And then the opportunity came along to run for sheriff. Just opportunity and timing. I've never left a job that I wasn't happy with. Good opportunity. And I stayed there for four terms. I left a little early in my fourth term to come here to UT Martin. Uh, I really I really enjoyed being on campus and uh, dealing with the young, young men and women in higher education and faculty and that type deal. We're back on track now because when you started talking about trooping, you said you were writing tickets. So... That's that's something that's believable when here somebody hears a story about a trooper, right? You know, not not, right. The, not the friend part, but we believe the that's writing right. tickets. That's and right. maybe it wasn't when you were a trooper. Tell me about your best ticket story. What is the most interesting story you've had doing a writing a ticket? I've got a bunch. I've got like a book this thick of ticket excuses. One I tell quite often. I was sitting on I forty at the seventy mile marker one Sunday morning. I'm sitting there and brand new Cadillac got a temporary tag in the back. Brand new Cadillac comes across the bridge. I clock it running ninety. I look at it and older gentleman, older gentleman was driving it. So I pull out, catch up to it, pull him over, walk up the car and say, hey, sir, you know, I'm sure blew the highway patrol. The reason I stopped you is I clocked you at 90 back there. And he he called me son the whole time. He said, son, I want to tell you, I hate to tell you, but it wasn't me. I said, well, sir, I hate to tell you, but I, I think my radar is working properly. And you were the only car that came across the bridge. He said, son, I want to tell you something. I've worked my entire life and never owned a new car. He said, I retired last week and I went and bought this brand new Cadillac and wrote a check for it. I said, wow, man, that's, that's impressive. That is cool. He said, yes, sir. Wrote a check for it. He said, I'm going to Nashville to visit some family. And he said, son, take your hat off looking here. So I took my hat off. I stepped my head inside his car there a little bit, smelt new, you know, beautiful new Cadillac. He said, son, 
he pointed right down there at the bottom. He said, son, what does that say right there? I said, that says 70. He said, son, that's my cruise control. That's why that wasn't me back there going 90. I said, well, sir, congratulations on retirement. And I hate to tell you about your new car, but that 70, that's your thermostat control. It ain't, ain't got nothing to do with your speed. I said, what's the temperature inside that car? He said, uh, it's about 70. I said, that's right. I said, sir. He said, I just had this car like two days. He said, I saw 70 and I thought that was my cruise. I had to say it. I said, no. What did that number say up here? He said, I don't know. Yeah, I tell you what it said. It said 90. I used to tell that story a lot of times in grand juries before I, I would have the opportunity to talk to grand juries before they were picked in Henry County. And I would always tell them, we want you to come in and use common sense and discretion and listen to everything, the totality of each case. And I said, who in here would write that man a ticket? No one raised their hand. And I said, that's exactly right. I did not write that man a ticket. Discretion and common sense is the best tool you got on your tool belt. And I told him, congratulations on retirement. Watch this number up here. And you tell your family in Nashville, I said, hi. <laughs> Brings up kind of a serious point here. I used to tell my young officers, the difference between a good officer and a great officer is knowing the difference between what you can do and what you should do. That's right. Well, that's that's right on, spot on. I mean, it, it's one of those things where we don't want robots. That's right. You don't. You don't. Every situation is different. We're all human. We all do occasional stupid stuff. You know, some of them things you can't reel back in, and some of them you can. Uh, you know, and you got to deal with folks. And I've always said that. That's common sense and discretion is the best tool. You know, we and hey, was I always that way? Absolutely not. Hey, I was young. Uh, I put that gun belt and that badge on. I'm ready to get out and save the world and right tickets and the years go on and I've had some really good mentors over the years in law enforcement that you know have taught me you know how to treat people it's all how you treat people and you know there are some knuckleheads out there I understand that won't allow you to do that uh, but for the most part good common sense communication and talking to some folks is what people want I think that's a common thing even for people like me who aren't in law enforcement what was the thing that because I, I got out of college and like you like I'm going to change the world I'm going to make a difference and then at some point it's like oh wait no what was that for you was it somebody who said hey son you need to like rein it back in a little bit or was it an experience or what was it oh yeah it's those you know it's all those those senior officers most of the time you know you get a 1046 wreck with injury or a pursuit going on and of course i'm jumping in the car and slinging gravel out of the parking lot and get on the road to get to it and running siren lights and, and they're like whoa calm down blue whoa slow your roll slow your roll let's think about what you're doing and and and, and getting in you know certain situations use your head keep your calm big thing is you know it's, it's just treat people like you want to be treated you know put your put yourself in their shoes you deal with five to ten thefts or something a day but you know what that gentleman that just called me and had his I don't know, gas can stolen that's the first time he's ever had a deputy or a trooper on his property about a theft it's a big deal to him and he's going to talk about that for the next 10 years you know what I mean? But it's a third call that you've gone on that day. You have to make it important. You have to give 110%. You know, and a lot of officers, I mean, we have our own personal lives that we're dealing with and issues. And But you got to come to work 10-8, ready to roll, deal with any situation. And and, and just remember, you know, you that may be your third call a day, but that's the first time he's ever called law enforcement in his life. And he's going to remember it, how you treat him. Well, I, I like the, the story that you used. You got to go with that accident. Somebody's injured. We got to get there, right? And I had a, a senior 
your officer one time and we're responding on an armed robbery just occurred. And, and you know, so what do you do, man? You're throwing the lights and sirens on. We got to get there, get there. And this older officer says, hey, Mike, they called us after it happened. <laughs> Where do you think the bad guy is? Right, right, right. He's driving the opposite direction of you and you're never going to see him. <laughs> because- He's not there. He's not there. Because you're doing 90 miles an hour and you can't to see get him. there. Yeah, he's gone. <laughs> to get to the place where you know he's not. <laughs> like, right, right, right. But when you start thinking about it, it's like, ooh, boy, wish I'd have known that a few years ago. They just slow my road. They just <laughs> slow my road. Yeah, and, you know, what we, we oftentimes give younger officers a hard time, but I think that it takes a tremendous amount of courage to come into this profession right now in the climate that we have or perceived climate that we have in this country right now as far as attitudes towards law enforcement. Right. You're you're right. You're spot on. You know, and I always said as well, I can remember being a young officer at Jackson PD. A couple of things I want to point out. Those were some of my best years in law enforcement. As you go through your career, I mean, I still love being in law enforcement. I still love doing my job job at UT Martin Campus Police, but those younger years were just so much fun. You know, you don't have the administrative mess and this, that, and the other, and just headaches and yada, yada. But I can remember, man, back when, when I first started, especially at Jackson PD, man, we worked afternoon shifts. So I'd get off around 1130. We would rally up every night. We would rally up at somebody's house. Back then, our video cameras, we just got video cameras and we had VHS tapes. So we had VHS tapes in the trunks of your car, you know. So we would pull our VHS tape, and after shift, we would go to somebody's house or apartment, and we'd always sit around and watch our traffic stops and kind of critique each other. And I'd stay up at 4 o'clock every morning, and I got off at 1130 because we're sitting around talking about what we had, what's going on in your district. you know. And we did not want a day off. I didn't want a day off. And, and when I was off, I was with my shift crew. I was with my crew. We were rallying up. We were doing things. We were barbecuing. We were – it's a bonds that you form. It's not what you do. It's who you are. And I always say that, too. It's not what you do. It's who you are. And those were some of the best years of my life. I remember we – and this is jacked up. I won't say a name because he works for TBI now, and he, he's fixing to retire, too. But we would turn the camera – cops had just come out. Cops. Not the show cop. Brand new. We would turn the camera around in, in our car. We would wheel it around and do our own version of cops. Okay, uh, we just got a call of an accident with injury. We're going to be responding to emergency traffic. Our ambulance just in checked in route. Let's go. Uh, let's get there. You know, when we would start responding, and, and then we would watch them at the end of the shift. You know, and, and break it down. And oh, you did this wrong. So a buddy of mine did that. He, he spun around. He was going. So we're responding to a wreck with injury. It's two car. It's at the intersection. So and so and so. So he starts going there, and he, he's responding. And all of a sudden, you hear him running lights and siren. And all of a sudden, he drops off the right shoulder of the road. Bam! He pulls it back on. Then all of a sudden, you see the car starting to shift. So you see the camera goes to a house, a back yard the road then a house another yard he winds up you see smoke you know and he winds up in a ditch and he just cuts it off he goes that's it you know so that was about the end of our cops production uh, our lieutenant got a hold of it yeah no more, no more cops production you know on that but that's something that the younger officers don't get to experience though because back then when you and i were doing that kind of work we didn't have cell phones so when something no, like no, that happened no. you had to get on the air right 
and not, not only the dispatch know, but everybody knew that you yeah, just yeah. jacked some. Ray, I'm going to need a supervisor at my location. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's everybody knows what he does. Yeah, yeah, nowadays, like, you can send a laptop message or you can get on your cell phone and you can yeah, try to yeah. hide it, but not yeah. back then. You got to get on no, there and you got to own it. You go to a payphone. Uh, Sarge, give me a call at number. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you were talking about the videotapes. That's another thing that the younger officers are never going to experience. We got those cameras and we worked 12, so it took two videotapes, even low, uh, recording at low quality to get through the ship. And we had this humongous box in the squad room, which was where your vi- we should have put Blockbuster on it because that's the kind of thing it was. It was Blockbuster video return. You'd get in more trouble if you didn't oh rewind those yes. tapes. And so yeah. we, we had, those, oh, yeah. like a, had a, like a deck of 10 videotape rewinders. <laughs> and, and, you know, we would vote on like the month to month who had the best video or whatever. And I had like a six month stint there. I had the best video. I stopped this car one night. A real quick story. Stopped this car speeding, running like 75 to 55. Stop him, walk up. Driver's intoxicated. Um, his buddy's in the front right seat. The driver's girlfriend's in the back seat. So I get him out. I give him some field sobriety tests. He's intoxicated. Man, you have to place you under arrest for DUI. So I place him uh, under arrest, walk him back, put him in the back seat of my car. And uh, I, I sit down in, in the driver's seat. And so he's in the back seat. And I'm sitting there getting some information. I'm fixing to go up and figure out what we're going to do with the other two people in the car. And the guy in the back seat, and I'm recording all this. You know, so I get back and he said, I knew the gentleman. He said, hey, Monty. I said, yeah, what's up, man? I just want to tell you the the guy in the front right seat up there, uh, he just threw out a, a big bag of weed at the right front seat. He threw it out the window and it's just on the other side of that guardrail. I said, are you serious? He said, yeah, go up there and check. So I'm like, okay. So all this is recording. So I walk back up there. Sure enough, there's a big bag of weed just right outside this window, just over the guardrail. So I pick it up. And I asked him, I said, did you throw us out? The passenger. I said, yeah, I did. I'm sorry, Monty. I knew him too. Said, I'm sorry, I did. I'm like, okay. So I walked back in front of the camera with this big bag of weed. I sit down in the passenger seat, or in my, in my driver's seat, and I lay the weed in the passenger seat. So I look back at my buddy. It's in the back seat. I said, man, I'm just curious. Why did you tell me that he just threw that dope out the window? He said, well, Monty, if, if you carry me to jail and you don't carry him to jail, he's probably going to hook up with my girlfriend in the back seat. And I don't want him to mess with my girlfriend. If you could carry him to jail too, please. I had it all on camera because everybody busted out. I was like, oh, my gosh. Like, all right, but come on out. <laughs> this is for everybody's protection right here, right, including right, the right. girlfriend. I basically intervened on a domestic situation for three days later. <laughs> You're like a relationship counselor. Yeah. More successful than many of them are. You got to carry him in jail because we know he's going to go with my girl. <laughs> Stay connected to the Between the Lines podcast by visiting our website at Between the Lines with Virtual Academy.com. You can listen to all available episodes, get detailed information about guests, and find links to all of our social media accounts, including Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. You'll also find links to where you can hear episodes using popular podcast providers like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. New episodes available every Tuesday morning at Between the Lines with Virtual Academy.com. Let's take the serious side of traffic stops for a second if we could. Yes, sir. People oftentimes, when you stop, don't you have anything better to do? Right, right. 
And people don't realize the importance of traffic stops in the law enforcement profession. Because oftentimes we're in a particular place, you're in a particular place, sure. there have been traffic accidents or there have been complaints about people driving unsafely. And we need to stop that because it's not safe for the community. It's not even safe for the driver. But the other component of that is being able to initiate an investigation once you do that. I mean, because truth be told, sure. the chances of you being being there when someone decides to break in a house at that moment at that house are just about nil. That's but right. Guess what? Those people got to that house typically by driving there. And then after they steal what they steal, they got to drive away. And if we can stop them on the way in, perhaps we prevent a crime. And if we stop them on the way out, maybe we can make an arrest for it. So it goes beyond just writing a ticket. There's no telling how many major crimes, murders, uh, major thefts have been solved over headlights being out, registrations being expired, seatbelts not being worn, whatever it may be. So, yeah, absolutely. It's, it's more than just a traffic stop and treat the people with respect and dignity, but do your job. And criminal addiction came such a big part of the game, I guess, w- during my career. And we worked I-40 a lot. But, I mean, there's so much interdiction now going on, not just – if you don't have a major interstate through your county, uh, just all over. You know, there's so many different routes and drugs and being hid in various locations. I'm a huge, huge component of canines. One time when I was sheriff, we had like eight dogs. We had five dope dogs and troll dog and two bloodhounds. Uh, and we used our bloodhounds more than we did probably anything. Hidden compartments used to be a thing when I first started. Hidden compartments and whatever was a thing on interdiction on I-40 or 24 or 75. But now it's, I mean, it's, a, it's, a, it's everywhere, you know. I'm I mean, it's nobody just leaves their dope laying in the in the passenger seat or in the trunk anymore. It, it, this is another thing that the, the young officers are never going to get to experience. You, you remember that feeling you got? When, when you go up there, I, hey, I need your license, registration, proof of insurance, please. And they'd open up that center console and you'd see the film canisters. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's bad you're done. Yeah, yeah. Somebody's going yeah. to jail tonight. Yeah, yeah. All, all you had to see was yeah. that little film canister. Right. Guess what? I can't remember, but maybe a handful of times in my entire career where there was actually film in there. I'm so oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I had no idea. <laughs> I'm so naive. Oh, my gosh. I didn't know that. When, when you saw that, that black canister with that gray top. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> you knew I'd stop the right car. You know what's in there? That's right. That's right. Don't, don't be starting to swear to God or I promise on my life there ain't nothing in this car. You know, so, yeah. Okay. I got you. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my goodness. Four more miles line. Stack of Bibles. Okay. Uh, I heard somebody say one time that, that youth is wasted on the young. And, and, you know, you talked about how that, that was that was such a fun part of your career. Absolutely. And, and we always talk about it. Man, but how good would it be to, to take the knowledge that you have now? Right. Put it in the, the young officer. And and I'm a law enforcement trainer uh, by trade now. And that's what we try to do in our training. We're trying to take the experiences that you had. And you've had some good ones, by the way try to impart it into that young officer so they don't make the same mistakes that you and I did. That's right. Hey, and, and that's great. In training, you can never get enough of it. I mean, it just, it is what it is. Continuing your, your education as you, you know, go through your law enforcement career will do nothing but benefit you, your career, your future, and your department. You know, it, it's a no-brainer. I do commend the officers that are getting into it now, you, you know, and, and, I, and I think it's evolving in a cycle. I can remember again, when I was starting out at Jackson PD, uh, or as a young trooper when I was starting at Jackson PD, I remember I'd come in at roll call and excited. I'm, I'm back at work and I'm ready to go. And then we had a lot of good men and women at Jackson PD, but there was a few that had been there close to 30 years and 
you know, I mean, it's just a naysayer is going to drag you down. It's the old timers, you know, that they're getting ready to retire and all oh, the department's going to screw you. And, you know, it's just, you're, you're not, I mean, you know what I mean? Um, a lot of times people get into that negative mentality and, you know, it's very easy to get there. It's very easy to get there because you see gloom and doom. Nobody calls you most of the time and says, hey, I'm having a great day. You want some milk and cookies? You know, where everybody talks to us on their worst day or they're upset or something tragic has happened to them and you deal with a lot of bad stuff period and um um, so that's one thing that I've tried to work at as a goal um, in my law enforcement career is is to be positive and be you know um uh, a good role model for the younger officers come in and be energetic and and all, I, I still man I, one thing I do miss from the sheriff's office I, I do miss a lot of things but I love being on UTM campus but hey I still love chasing the bad guys I mean they'd call me out I'd go at night we'd run and gun we got some night vision we had bloodhounds we'd run them in dark I mean it was just a lot of fun I still enjoyed that stuff you know and that, that heart start racing all those days where I were taking I was taking those reports those late reports of Larson that was the that was the price I paid for a mission to be able to do this thing right. That's now. right. That's right. You know, I've been on them calls, man. I understand your neighbor's dog has now pooped in your yard. That's yes, terrible. I, I, I understand it. the cat has walked across your freshly waxed Corvette. I understand it's terrible. Let's work on this. His satellite dish is on my property. But boundaries. I mean, I ain't going on. And then throw a correctional facility in there. Oh, oh Lord. We had a lot of good inmates that did a lot of good things for our community through inmate labor favorite ones i had that we did we had a deer processing unit during deer season if you killed a deer you could bring it to the henry county sheriff's office and i had inmates back there that would unload the deer dress the deer cut it up grind it and put it in two pound packages of deer burger so and at the end of the season we would you know we'd freeze it and then we would give the deer burger back out to the people that either food pantries or to people that needed a little extra meat on the table so we would do 225 usually close maybe 250 a year so we would give a lot of deer meat back to the community that is a fantastic program i have never brent i've never even considered something like that but think about the impact that makes in that community absolutely chief has been at the forefront of the community because i know one of the things that i always remember about you is uh, on new year's eve you had the sober ride home and you'd run mm-hmm. the radio yeah. commercials where you're up front and center on the commercial saying hey if you had a little bit too much to drink call us and we'll we'll drive you home i always thought that was really cool you're at the forefront yeah i mean we we i know a lot of people do that now and we did it for years but i mean we would absolutely advertise it we would go into the bars say hey i got a band pulling up here 30 minutes to an hour load up we'll give you a ride home no questions asked we're not going to carry you to another bar fyi <laughs> this ain't a party bus <laughs> yeah, this is not a party bus but we will we will carry you home i had a reserve deputy at one time that would go into the bars with me and we had a couple of them set up where the whoever band was playing he could play a guitar or he play the drums really good so we would go in and talk and i would get up and say hey if you need a ride come get us keith and he'd get up there and do a little drum set or something, you know, play the drums. Yeah, I mean, people love that, you know. And, hey, I mean, it's nothing illegal about getting out on New Year's Eve and having a good time. Hoop and holler, we want you to do it up. Not a boy. Way to go. Uh, but just drive home safe. We don't want anybody hurt. We don't want you to hurt. So, yeah, we'll give you a ride home. We did have a few, obviously. <laughs> we had a guy one time who got a new Ford Explorer. And I was like, man, we need some decent cars, you know. We need some decent vehicles to drive. We did them in patrol cars and buses 
buses and vans and whatever we can get our hands on. So I said, man, can we borrow your ride? I know it's brand new, but we need to haul some people. Yeah, didn't have a cage in it. Man, it was like the second group we picked up. Her girl gets in there and just hurls. <laughs> Just throws it down the side of the passenger door. Just brand new vehicle. You know, it smelled good. Stank for a month. You know, but anyway. You were talking about the correction side of things, and I just want to throw this in there. You've already talked about the importance of treating people with respect, treating them as people. Kentucky had that tornado here in the past year or so. Right. We went through that candle-making factory, and they actually had some of the folks, some of the inmates from the, the, the local jail there, they had an inmate that, quite honestly, could have escaped pretty easily. But instead sure. of escaping they went and started helping. Yeah, that's right. That kind of thing doesn't happen if we don't treat people as people. That doesn't mean we're tactically unsound, that we don't we don't follow rules and procedures. Right, right. But just seeing people as people is an important part of all parts of the first responder profession. We, we were a county jail, so most of the time we, we held some people for long term, you know, but most of the time uh, we held people until they were sentenced. If they were sentenced in circuit court, state court, you know, we would then send them to the penitentiary but uh, and we couldn't use any pre-sentence labor most of the time, you know, but the, the our inmates, uh, I can say over the years, we ran an animal shelter, the sheriff's office animal shelter, and they ran it. We, we did inmate work gardens, and we would give produce away to the community. And then we would use some of it in the jail, not a lot, because I mean, when you get 175, 200 inmates, it, it, the produce didn't go very far. I mean, you got to have a large amount, but but yeah, they did a lot of good programs. You know, we did a lot of mowing and weeding for different organizations, uh, 501c3 organizations that we could do things for. Uh, we had an ice storm one time that they really came out and helped big on it, saved some lives, I think. And we had some that did some really stupid stuff occasionally too, you know. But. We have people in all professions that do some really stupid stuff sometimes and we have to yeah. deal with them. Bibb County, Georgia, uh, they have a, a bondable puppy program. They bring in the, these animals and, and the inmates, they actually train them. Right. And, so, and then they're adopted by, but by the time they get to the person that's adopting them, they, they already uh, been to obedience school and it doesn't cost them anything. And, and the thing is, I, I taught a class a couple of days ago. And one of the themes in it is that leaders are dealers in hope. When there is no hope, bad things happen. That's right. And, and there has to be a purpose. And, and those types of activities do give hope. And they do give purpose. So I, I commend you because I think that's that dear one. I just can't get over that. I think that's a. Yeah, it was, it was it was really a cool deal, you know, and, and I think you too, you have to keep active. You have to change just to keep the wheels of turning to, to get new programs and new ideas and generate new focuses, you know, and, and uh, that's what the community wanted, you know, and. So I was very fortunate to be, you know, part of it, and I enjoyed every minute of being sheriff up there. I want to talk about an incident that occurred when you were sheriff. Mm -hmm. I kind of want you to walk us through this. At some point, you and the folks in your agency became involved in a manhunt uh, for a, a dirtbag uh, by the name of Kirby Jean Wallace. Mm -hmm. How did you come to be involved uh, in that search for him? Yeah, well, I, I'll tell you, the last couple of years, uh, I'll be honest with you, when I was at the, the at the sheriff's office, man, we just had a lot going on. We had a lot going on. We had a couple of murders that we worked. We had this Kirby Wallace case. A Jim and Stella Cadell, uh, we had an active shooter that went in a business, killed his wife, and then a secretary. And then we thought he was holding the secretary hostage, but he never would provide proof of life. And we ultimately started making some entry into the building and tear gas and he had killed her. But I found a kid in a cage. Literally, it was in a, a trailer and this kid was just surviving in a, it was a big dog pen they'd built and 
It was just, I never, you know, at that point in my law enforcement career, I didn't think there was too much that I hadn't seen or that could shock the conscience. And when I saw that kid living in that cage and it was a single bedroom trailer or living room where he was at in this cage and everything that that kid owned was in that cage. And there was eight snakes in that room. They were all in glass cages, but they were like buckets of mice everywhere. I mean, I'm just telling you, it was just absolutely, you know, the stuff kind of that keeps you up at night. And I'll tell you about the Jim and Stella Cadell case just real quick in a minute, but the Kirby Wallace case, we, we had bloodhounds, and um, I think the canines are only as successful as their handlers. Uh, we had Wayne Fuqua and Stacy Bostwick were, were our two bloodhound handlers, and they were they were ten eight. They were they worked, they trained. When they were working, nothing was going on. They trained, uh, and we we had some good dogs, very high success rate on lost people, Alzheimer's patients, lost hunters fugitives, uh, whatever. So we had been over there for, I don't even know, six, seven days, long manhunt. This guy had done a lot of bad stuff, killed several people, and it was just bad. Uh, he grew up in the backwoods uh, of Stewart and Montgomery counties, and uh, he was a logger, and, and he knew the backwoods. So we'd been hunting him. I'd been over there for about eight or 10 hours one day, come back home, wore out, blisters on my feet. They call me that night, about midnight, said, hey, we've got another spotting of him. We think it's credible. Can you bring one of your dogs back over? I said, absolutely. So just me and him, Stacy Boswick and his dog, Rowdy, went back over, shot back over, ran emergency traffic, got over there, got on the track, started running the track, ran the track, ran the track. We'd lost it. We got in some water, got back on the track. Makes a long story short, we tracked this guy all night. Started fixing to break daylight. We're coming up on daylight. So they said, let's set a perimeter up. The FBI HRT's team out of Quantico had just flown in on like a C-130 with Black Hawk helicopters, and they're fixing to do some crazy stuff and really get with it. Uh, So they asked us to set a perimeter up. So I said, okay, I think his direction is this way. We're still on a decent track, but he's he's traveling north, northeast. This is where his path is. We set a perimeter up. And uh, so I told Stacy, I said, I was looking at a map on my phone, and I said, I think he may have bumped that perimeter where we set it up. He may not have. He may have. But let's go a little bit north of it. Let's bump on up north. I said, here's an L field. Let's get in this L field situation somewhere. So we go up there. Just by chance, I see a deer stand. So I start glassing the rest of the field, and I said, there's another deer stand right over there. I said, you go get in that deer stand. I'm going to get in this deer stand. Let's sit up here with our binoculars. It's breaking daylight. See what we see. So we're sitting there, and I'm sitting there several hours. And I'll be honest with you, I'm trying to do everything I can to stay awake because I've been up all night. You know, just please don't fall out of those things. I ain't got a safety strap. I ain't got nothing. I'm just sitting up there. and So I'm sitting up there, and I tell everybody I've got my AR low ready. I'm looking left to right tactically clearing my area. I say that, but actually I was up there on my phone on Facebook because I had good reception. It was like, happy birthday, happy anniversary, congratulations. And I look up, you know, everybody was scanning around. I look up and I'm like, there he is. I see him. He's coming right at me. So I put my phone down. I've got my rifle hung on this hook, you know, where deer hunters hang their rifles. I get my rifle down, and he walks up to the corner of the field that's right in front of me, 50, 60 yards. He walks up to that, and he hunkers down. He squats down. So I'm just froze, and I'm kind of just still as I can behind the tree. I'm watching to see what he's going to do. And there was no hen turkey to my left in this field. And he told in an interview the next day, he said, I walked up there, and I hunkered down, and I looked around for anybody, couldn't see anything. He said, I saw that hen turkey, so I knew there wasn't anybody around. Because if anybody had been walking around there, 
hen turkey had been gone. He said, I thought I was safe because I saw that hen turkey. So hen turkey helped me out. <laughs> so he turned and started coming right at me, coming down this fence row. He was coming right at me. I said, here we go. And as he got closer to me, I could see he had a 44 on him. The last individual he'd killed, he'd shot him with his 44. And he had it right here in his waistband. And I let him get like 15 yards from me, and he still hadn't seen me. So I announced my presence, pulled down on him. Uh, he starts following my initial commands, and he's in a little wooded area. And then he jumps behind a tree on me. So I'm like, okay, here we go. You know, I haven't got a lot of protection because I'm I'm sitting up in the deer stand. You know, I can't hide. I can't get behind nothing. But I've got a lot of ammo. You know, I've got my gun. I've got three mags. I've got my AR. As soon as he comes around the tree, I'm fixing to cut loose. I was yelling commands, yelling commands. He finally came back out and listened to me, followed my commands. By this time, my other deputy that was with me in that other tree stand had come over. So I got him to go down his knees, went face down. He covered him. I got down out of the deer stand. We cuffed him up and recovered some very incriminating evidence off of him and, and the weapon, cuffed him up. He said, I'll quote him. He said, I should have killed your ass when I had the chance a minute ago. <laughs> and I said, man, don't be talking that. I won't say exactly what I said, but I'll say, <laughs> you know, don't be talking that mess now. You had your chance. You know, you should have took it. He said, well, that's fine. I don't mind spending the rest of my life in prison. Huh. I'll eat three meals a day. That's exactly what he said. I'll, I'll eat three meals a day. So I said, uh, okay. So I stepped back. I got on my radio. I said, this is Henry County 501 to command post. Just be advised, we have Kirby Wallace in custody. Kirby Wallace is in custody. And I said, okay, 10-4, can you send us a picture of him to confirm his identity? I said, well, I left my phone in the tree stand, but it's him, I promise you. Just send somebody over here, please. <laughs> and so, what actually happened was the battery was dead from being on Facebook. So yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, it's it's not a real high-tech, technical, uh, tactical story. I just got lucky, and uh, but we, we, we put a lot of long hours in. So I, I commend all the deputies that rode there with me. We were working some 12, 14-hour days, and like you said, it was cool stuff. I enjoyed that stuff. I wanted to get him off the streets before he hurt or killed somebody else and, and we did right before i left there i had a guy that called me he calls me on wednesday night the subject jim calls me on wednesday night and i known jim for years i actually used to turkey hunt on his property a lot way out in, he lives way out in a rural part of henry county on the kentucky line jim calls me and says or he calls me wednesday night and i was actually on a zoom call and i didn't answer his call i kind of swiped it and so i got off i called him back and he didn't answer so i left him a message i said jim if you need me Give me a call. Never heard anything from him. Didn't hear anything from him Thursday. Friday morning, he calls me. Says, hey, Monty, I called you the other night. It's Jim. I said, yeah, I'm sorry. I called you back and left a message. He said, yeah, I know. He said, I need you to come out here to my house. I said, okay. I said, well, I'm, I'm kind of booked all day, but can I make it 3.30 this afternoon? He said, yeah. I roll up at 3.30 at his house. Uh, I take my gun belt off. I lay it in the passenger seat. I've known this guy. He's in his mid to late 70s. Um, and so I take my gun belt off. It's the end of the day. It's Friday. I'm ready for the weekend. Um, I, I'm off Saturday. And so he comes to the back door. He says, can you come in? I said, yeah. So I walk in and he says, have a seat. So I sit down in a seat across from him. He says, Monty, I, I effed up. You know, I, I thought we were going to talk about somebody trespassing or crop money or I don't know, property line or I don't know what's going on. So he says, my wife came home Wednesday night. We got into it. Make a long story short. She went to the bedroom. She comes back out. She's got a gun. We wrestled with it. The gun went off twice. She fell to the floor and so did the gun. And I'm like, okay. I said, what happened then? He said, well, I, I picked the gun up and I shot her in the back of the head and killed her. I was like, 
okay. I said, well, where's she at now? He said, she's in the trunk of the car. I said, okay. I said, where's the gun that you killed her with? He said, it's, it's right here. And he touched it. It was on the coffee table. I ain't even seen it. He says, I'm thinking about killing myself. I was like, Jim, you're not going to do that. I said, I love you. This is a tragic deal. We're going to get through this, but you're, you're not going to do that. You're not going to do that. He said, well, I might make you kill me. I was like, Jim. And of course, I, I took my gun belt off and it's in the car. <laughs> so I was like, Jim, I'm, I'm not going to kill you. I'm not, you need to calm down. I said, we, we're going to, we're going to pray about this. We're going to talk about this. We're going to get through this, Jim. This is terrible. Oh my God. Let's talk about, it. and I was scooting closer as I was talking. So I grabbed hold of him. Uh, I got him to stand up, did not have another weapon on him. I took that gun, emptied it out with a little revolver, threw it on the floor, went outside, got him to sit out on tailgate of a, a bed of a truck and basically and then I went over to my truck, called for backup. Of course, it's 20 minutes away, literally. So I sit there and talk to him for 20 minutes, trying to occupy him on the farm and everything else. And a deputy pulled up, handcuffed him up, ran over to the car and, and then popped the trunk. Yeah, sure enough, there was his wife. Now, last time I saw her, she gave me some some of these. She used to cook these little con pies that were delicious. It was just a train wreck, you know. I mean, and that was the last major case I worked at the sheriff's office. And at that point, I'd been in law enforcement about 28 years i was getting ready to leave to come over here uh, to the university of tennessee at martin sometimes you feel like your, your cup's full you know what i mean and uh, i just i don't know i'd had a bad two or three four years and and uh, not bad i'm just saying a lot of trauma a lot of good friend of mine the guy hank williams jr his daughter got tragically killed in a car accident katie and uh, uh, was a good friend and uh, just so many things. And, and, and y'all know what I'm talking about. I am a big believer. Uh, I, I was, I dealt with Peter Cove years ago. He, he ran basically Tennessee's critical incident stress debriefings. I'm a big believer in that debriefings for law enforcement. You got to talk to somebody, the old school, hard headed, just deal with it and move on, bottle it up. And, I mean, you know what I mean? Oh yeah. Uh, but that that's just not cool. I, I just don't think that's the right approach. I think you got to talk about it. You got to deal with some people that have been there and done that and, and help you through those situations and get it out. You feel so much better when you talk about it. Uh, TSPN, Tennessee Suicide Prevention Network. Uh, I'm, I'm on their advisory board now. TSPN uh, runs a great organization and anything that we can do to help, you know, suicide prevention in law enforcement uh, as well as in our community. You know, um, I'm a big believer in that as well. You know, on the law enforcement side, and we, we've addressed this topic before uh, on the podcast. The truth of the matter is, when you look at the numbers, we're a bigger danger to ourselves than the stuff that's going on out there. I guarantee and, and in this profession right here, usually not one incident that, that gets us. It's that cumulative effect. It's that yeah. build up over time. And if I could go back and talk to young Mike when I started my career, it would be talk, talk often, encourage others to talk. That's right. That's right. We got to take care of each other. That's right. You do. It's so important. Your mental health, uh, I know it has been brought to light here recently, a lot of different issues and ways, but uh, man, it, it is, man. You, I can sit here and we could talk until, until y'all got sleep at night and I can start right now and tell you sad situation after sad situation, uh, child sexual abuse to car wrecks, to death notifications, to suicides, to stuff that will just, that's jacked up. Yep. You know. I imagine your current role at UTM 
it's got to be rewarding because you're able to work with students maybe on the front end of things. It's, it is so much better. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I'm making videos. <laughs> yeah, well, well, since I mean, you brought it, it up. You know, I mean, we do. We, we, we have a, a care team that we work with a lot over here because students are the best years of their life, I think, in college. But it also can be some of the most stressful years of their life. You know, so we deal with our care team. I, I, I run a, I still have my dog, Morton, with me. Um, uh, he is not a dope dog. He's not a bomb dog. He's just straight up certified comfort therapy dog. I can walk across this campus by myself and I'll have three students who'll say hi to me. Hey, Monty. I can walk across this campus with my dog, Morton, and you know who says hi to me? Everyone. <laughs> because they want to pet him. He'll lick you on the face. Everybody likes to pet him for good luck on exams. You know, he, he, he'll roll over and let you rub his belly. Uh, when the football team kicks off on Saturdays and the play's blown dead, I send him out. He'll pick the tee up and retrieve the tee back to the sideline for me. You know, and, and I, I think he, he is a good therapy dog. I, I had a situation just earlier this week where a young man was going through some traumatic stuff, and I just had Morton there and he just laid with him and petted him. You know what I mean? I mean, it was cool. It's proven dogs lower your blood pressure. They make less of an anxiety situation. They'll lower your anxiety. They're, I mean, they're just good. I like dogs. I like my dogs better than a lot of people. <laughs> you know, I mean, I mean he's, uh, he's my boy. And Hank, I got him from Hank. It was really cool. You know what, Chief? Since you brought up Morton, uh, Morton also had a part in the video. <laughs> and <laughs> I don't think we're not going to send this video out, Chief. Oh, People oh yeah, this, that's know. in the show notes. It's in the, right, right, but right, you, right. you know, the, thing is, the two most excited actors in this entire video <laughs> were the Chief <laughs> and Morton. I don't know about you, Brent, but I watched that thing and I had to go back and watch it again because it just made me smile. It, it made me smile. So I can imagine what it's doing for the uh, the students who are, are, are watching that thing. Oh, yeah, I'm telling you, man. You got to get down on the level. You got to humanize yourself and let them know that you're there for them and hey you know yeah we're, we're campus police we may write you a parking ticket but we're here to we're to help you we're going to do this and we want you back and there's no assignment that we will not accept we're here for you so it, it was a lot of fun film and i some of my staff were a little reluctant at first but i think once we, they we, saw it notice yeah 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 it was one or two it's like i'm not asking you i'm telling you go to the football <laughs> this is an order <laughs> yeah right right it was that it, bad. You know what? The, we, we talked about it a couple times already uh, about the importance of respect and seeing people as people. Right. But th there's two sides to that. We also need for those that we serve to see us as people. Yeah, I'm wearing a uniform and I'm doing a job, but I'm still a person. And that's just provides for a better context for everybody involved. I, I agree with you 100%. When do classes kick off for you? Um, actually, the freshmen, yeah, the freshmen are moved in yesterday. They're doing some classes and orientation and some fun stuff today. And then everybody will be back in Monday rolling. And then, you know, we kick off uh, September 1st is our first home game, football game. And that's one of the things I travel a lot with some of the athletics. And we're going to some really cool places this year we play uh, our football team which we won the OVC championship last year and in that video I've got my OVC championship ring on I think you know I know that but. <laughs> well they'll know it now so we go to we play UT Knoxville this year we go to uh, Knoxville we go to Boise State Houston Texas so we, we got some really cool games up ahead you know we've got homecoming we've got family weekend we've got you know it's, it's just always some fall is such a busy time of year for the university and uh, but you know it, it is it is we are in 
law enforcement, but we are in a different way. We're, we're kind of like a school resource officer. I'm basically a school resource officer, uh, just over a bigger place. You know, we've got a lot more students than they do at high schools, and we have a lot more things going on. But I don't think we've mentioned it yet, but UTM consistently is one of the safest college campuses in the country every year, right? Yeah, we're very, we're very, very fortunate. We, we try to be diligent. Uh, we're trying to do some, get some things out there. We're coming out with a new little substation that's in the student housing area, Blue Cruise, Blue Patrol, uh, where our, our lights, you know, light up. We're trying to do that around campus, the Blue Patrol. I got a motorcycle now. We, we're riding motorcycles on campus. We've got a couple of bikes, but I can't find anybody to jump on a bike, a bicycle. Nobody wants to pedal. Everybody wants to ride the Harley, though. <laughs> well, what, what Chief, I, I just want to say personally how much I appreciate the job that you've done throughout your career and it's an amazing career yeah but again i always say i've been so thankful uh you know and just so blessed because i've been able to do cool stuff you know i've been able to do some neat stuff and and i feel like i literally feel like you know no i'm not a millionaire <laughs> i drive a toyota camera and i got an old jeep <laughs> but in my career in law enforcement i feel like i've been so blessed just because uh you know i've got to do some cool stuff just like you you know i, I mean i feel like i never worked a day in my life i, I really and you know I, I just uh i would pity and hate to see somebody that got up every morning and hated to go do the job that they were going to do for eight hours every day. 40 hours a week and you hated it. I, I can't live like that. I can't. I couldn't do it either, man. I'm just so lucky. We appreciate what you've done in your career. We also appreciate you taking the time today because I know this is a busy time for you with freshmen on campus and school starting next week, but we certainly appreciate you taking the time to share your story with us and with our listeners. So thank you very much. Absolutely. Appreciate the opportunity and, you know, y'all have got a cool thing going. Let's keep it up. Great. Thank you for the opportunity to be here today. Yeah, absolutely. Just a couple things here. Takeaways. Number one, I think this is an episode that shows the, the, the ends of the spectrum that people in this profession deal with. You know, Absolutely. We go from catching somebody who really needs to be captured because he's a bad, bad guy and making videos return to school. And there's all that stuff that all that stuff in between. Uh, that's key takeaway. Number one and key takeaway. Number two is that wildlife play a big role <laughs> in this profession. I mean, two references to deers. We had a We bears. had a turkey. We've got dogs, bears. I mean, I wrote a cow. I had a buddy of mine. They got on the hood of my patrol car. And we went down this highway and this calf was running down the middle of the highway and he roped him and then we got him tied and wrangled him up. And so I just put it on my Facebook page. The sheriff. <laughs> so the next day they call me and they say, Hey man, this thing's going viral. You know, I'm like, what? Okay. So, and the next thing you know, it's on like good morning America. Really? It's on like uh, Charlie Rose. I don't remember your world in 90 seconds, CBS. Fox News. I mean, I did interviews like for three days about this deal. So that's, you know, after 14 years, basically that's all I'm known for is this cow. <laughs> My claim to fame on that was Charlie Rose when he was the anchor of Your World in 90 Seconds there on CBS. They they ran it, but they had to put my words at the bottom of the page because I'm like we all got a little Southern slang. So they put my words. <laughs> and Charlie Rose, you know, I like the way he talks. <laughs> so that's 
That's all I got. That's all I got. The Tennessee version of Peaky Blinders. We yeah, got to have yeah. the closed captioning on so we know what's happening. That Time is to fantastic. the hood of my car. Uh, I like, I like hey, the way you talk too, Chief, but that's the stories you tell. You're great. You've got a great personality. You've got great stories. And you've seen some bad stuff in your career. But, man, you're a lot like Mike is that you've got this positive outlook and you're always sound like you're just happy to be here. You know, you're just you know, really excited about making a change. So we appreciate that, man. Well, I appreciate that, too. Thank you all very much. Thank you. Hey, Brent, this has been a fun one, man. I have enjoyed it immensely. And uh, we encourage you guys to uh, send us a note. If you've got a story you'd like to tell, our email address is between the lines of Virtual Academy. Academy.com. And again, you can get uh, all of our previous episodes right there on our website at Between the Lines with Virtual Academy.com. Don't forget to subscribe. Those new episodes coming out each and every Tuesday morning.